You know, when we were um, getting to know one another prior to when we got married, um, it was really funny because we didn't actually talk that much about having children. We sort of, I don't know, I guess we just both sort of took for granted that we would see eye to eye on that, and that wasn't a topic that we talked a lot about. But in my mind, I kind of thought maybe two kids, and I think that's about where you were too, right? I was wanting to get married. Kids weren't the priority. I expected them, but I wasn't thinking about how many. So um, let me just introduce you to our family. Um, on this, this is the... Back row, left side. Back, back row, left side. I'm very bad with left and right. That's our oldest daughter, Jana, with her husband, Andy. Um, next is my husband's mom and dad, Marilyn and Charles. And then we have Byron and I. Then we have our next daughter, Kimberly, and her husband, Imian, and their oldest baby. And then our youngest daughter, Amy, and our son, Charles. And now this picture is old. Um, it's in our sweet potato patch, and it's old. But um, now Kimberly and Imian have three children, and now Jana and Andy have three children, but the picture is old. But that is our family. And you know, we, we just, four kids is perfect. It was just not what our plan was. You know, <clears throat> the topic of this particular breakout track, if I understand it, is about the simple life. And when uh, we were invited to share on that, my wife and I both laughed because our life is anything, by anybody's standards, our life is anything but simple. My wife and I work probably 70 hours a week on our farm, plus we're managing a farm in Michigan, and um, I'm deeply involved in the church, and we are uh, training interns, and I have classes with them, and, and I could go on and on. So it's like, why would we want to talk about the simple life when our life doesn't seem simple? But, but it all depends how you classify simple. So... I wanted to, as I thought about it, I think that what she just said is really uh, a, a key point. And I decided that there are two principles about bringing the, I'll do it when I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> um, there's two principles about simplicity in parenting that I want to, and about life in general that I want to share. First one is, you need to clearly know what simple is. The biggest problem that we have in so many aspects of our life is that we bring expectations to, uh, like when you look at the disciples. As soon as they thought, hey, this is the Messiah, then a whole bunch of thoughts started coming in their mind. If it's the Messiah, that means there's going to be a, uh, a revolt against the Romans, there's going to be prosperity, etc. And they couldn't accept the fact that the Messiah would end up the way he ended up. So we have to make sure that we understand what simple is. And you can interrupt me wherever you want. You know I will. Okay, well, I know that. All right. What is simple? The dictionary defines simple as composed of only one thing, element, or part. Okay? So, 
<clears throat> that brings me right away to this passage from Ministry of Healing that is, uh, has been a, a huge guide. It's the chapter, Help in Daily Living. The huge guide in my life, and it says, those who accept the what? One principle. One principle. Now, isn't that simple? Okay. Now, when you read this on paper or on a computer screen, it sounds really straightforward. Now, when you actually put that into your life, have you actually experienced that when you, when you get down on your knees and you say, God, I'm going to accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme. Do you feel all those perplexities vanish? Do you see a plain path in front of your feet? Not commonly so. Sometimes, but not commonly so. Okay? But the, the, um, the interesting thing is, is that as Christians we live by faith. So there is a plain path in front of our feet. Perplexities have vanished. We know if we've accepted the one principle of making the service of God supreme, we know what to do, and that is serve God. Right now, this foot right in front of me, I know what to do, and that is to make a commitment to Christ, to, make, to follow him and to put his service utmost. And it, and it doesn't always take the picture that you think it will be. I mentioned at the beginning, you know, well, first off, he wasn't exactly a farmer when we first got married. And, um, and I didn't really see for sure that that's how our life was going. Um, but I'm so thankful it went that way. Um, and, then, and then, like I mentioned, the kids, you know, we hadn't really given that a great deal of talking, but, you know, it all came together. And sometimes in life, you're going along and suddenly you get hit with something that you say, wow, Lord, this is what I have to do. And we had that experience. I was talking on the phone to a friend. 1988. 1988. Talking on the phone to a friend. We had our two little girls. Well, they're not there anymore, but Jana and Kimberly, the two oldest ones. That was all the kids we wanted. We did not want more children. And I should interrupt you and say that if we had stopped there, <laughs> we would know that we were gifted parents. <laughs> so we did not want more children. I had had a really hard delivery and then a hard pregnancy for the next one, and two kids was perfect. That, that was the perfect size family. One Sunday evening, I was talking to a friend in California. We lived up by Alaska in northern British Columbia. I'm talking to a friend in California, and as chit-chat goes, she told me about this little baby that she had heard about who was living with his mom in a car on the streets of Las Vegas. And um, just suddenly, I was overcome with the thought that this is terrible. We're not rich. In fact, we were really poor by any worldly standards. But we had everything because we had the Lord. We had a home in the country. We had faith. We had each other. We had the perfect life. And here was this little baby that had been born to live on the streets of crime in Las Vegas in a car. And I was just suddenly, it was just, I, I can't even describe it, 
But the Lord just put in my heart a passion that that baby had to be taken out of that situation. So when I came home, I was I was at a meeting, right? At, when she was on the phone. When I got back, she said, she said, um, what would you think about adopting a child? And it was like, we're going to do that. That's exactly what we need to do. Craziest thing in the world. We worked at a self-supporting school. We made $700 a month. The next day, we found out that the adoption would cost $10,000. Called an attorney and said, we have $200. Would you take that as a down payment? If you talk about perplexities, and if you talk about not having a plain path before your feet, this was the most unplain path you could imagine. We lived up by the panhandle of Alaska. This child was in Las Vegas. This is now a Sunday night, a Monday morning. God worked a miracle, miracle after miracle after miracle. The following Sunday night, I flew to Las Vegas and picked him up. And people don't, people get on waiting lists to adopt babies for six or eight years. He was four months old, so he was almost a newborn. And here, an attorney would accept some people who had $200 to put as a down payment. And, and just that, if I told you all the miracles. And so we knew that God was placing this little boy in our home. It, it could be no other way. And did we feel like we were crazy? Did we feel like, Lord, why are we doing this? And we kept saying this to each other all week long. Should we really be doing this? But we kept thinking, well... It seems like God is opening the door, and if I told you all the steps to opening it, you would be amazed. I think it's important to add to that, that that we did not, and I know she's emphasizing that, but I want to say that I can't overemphasize that we were not feeling the need for another child. This was not something that we were doing because, because of parenting instincts. We thought that we were doing it because we had made the one principle of the service of Christ supreme in our life, and we felt like service to Christ was calling us to minister to this child. Now, we're going to leave that story there. Oops, but I hasten to add how amazing it is that when God calls you to do something like that, it was amazing because suddenly I had this love for this child that I had never met. And at some point along the way, we had to communicate with the birth mother at a bar because she didn't have a phone. And so she would call us collect from this bar. And at some point along the way, she told me that he thought he weighed 30 pounds. And he's four months old. And we were just like, well, I mean, you know, he's got to have health problems. But she didn't have money to take him to a doctor to check him up or anything and wouldn't do it. We, we tried to figure out a way for her to do that, and she wouldn't. We thought, well, what if he has AIDS? There were so many questions, so many things. But God had put this love, and it's only a love that God can give to do that, that made us keep putting that one step in front of the other. You know, I would love to tell you that when you make the one principle the one principle of your life, that that what you think is going to happen is what happens. See, it says that perplexity is vanished and a plain path is before your feet. And this is the thing that I want to really, if there's nothing else that we're able to communicate in this seminar, it's the fact 
that our expectations are what need to change. Amen. So you look at, at this idea of making this one principle. That's what makes simplicity. As I shared from the dictionary definition, simple is one thing. And those who make the one principle supreme, now you have simplicity. Not simplicity on the outside, but simplicity on the inside. And I want to, I want to follow here with this statement from Ministry of Healing. Many have hearts that are aching under a load of care. Now, this is what we often think about when we say, oh, for the simple life, right? Our hearts are aching under a load of care. But notice why. Because they seek to reach the world's standard. See, I have expectations, just like the disciples did, that, that when the Messiah comes, he's going to deliver us from the Romans, he's going to bring prosperity, he's going to heal our diseases, he's going to do all of these things, and that is our expectation. But is, was that the reality? Okay, when you look here, I want to... Um, to pause in this thought and introduce our fourth child who should never have been here, but that's another, a whole different story. Um, and she's, she's uniquely special. Oops. <laughs> I graduated in education from Weimar College and had the privilege to... Um, learn from Raymond Moore and, and all these people about education. And so I was completely sold into the better late than early theory, completely sold into the spirit of prophecy principles about how we need to teach our children practically outside. You know, they should be free as lambs, all of those things. And it went so well with the first three kids. Um, first two kids. Well, three, because one, two, three. It went so it went so well with them because you know like for instance Charles because of his background of you know alcohol and drugs and all that kind of stuff um you know he had ADHD and so I didn't even start teaching him to read really till he was 12 but then bang it went so fast and and the older girls you know we were so you know, good about following all of that. And boy, did we ever follow that with Amy too. Boy, that better late than early sure kicked in because by that time, things were happening really busy at the farm and um, and stresses were coming and... and um, were you wanting to... I was going to say something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't help but interject here into her story. When we started the farm, there were certain expectations we had about how the farm was going to go. And Janice was going to stay home. We had moved to Arizona. Janice was going to stay home and homeschool the kids, and I was going to run the farm. And because we believed in work study, we were going to have the kids help for a couple hours each day. So it would be very, you know, and I just see, Pam, you're just shaking your head. And so we had been in northern British Columbia, so now we're moving down closer to civilization, even though where we actually lived was very rural. We made sure of that. We So we, I know our time is clicking, so I'm gonna keep going. So um <laughs> okay. So we were also looking forward to 
being a little bit more culturally enriching with our kids than what we had been when we were in Canada because we were closer to Tucson and Phoenix. And uh, I wanted to have them go to music lessons and all those things because we hadn't been able to do that up there. Well, trust me, all of that fell by the wayside, and they had to just start having mom be the one to teach them music. And and but boy, we had fun together. But that's all a side note. But so by the time Amy came along. I'll tell you, it was not this idyllic little two hours a day for our work-study program. There were days when school didn't happen whatsoever as far as what you think school is. And by the time Amy was 12, I think, or 13, she was starting to really get worried herself. And she was like, Mom, I don't even know what grade I'm in. And well, she didn't know what grade she was in, and that was what was disturbing her. She was doing, she was doing fourth grade Workbook. She had never done anything higher than a fourth grade workbook. Just because there was never time to okay, get see, any workbook completed. She just wanted to make sure that the, the excuses are presented, right? Okay? Now. But at the same time, she was working in the accounting office with her grandpa. I will interject that. Okay. So, so here's a necessary introduction. We had had in our business which we haven't had a chance to share with any of you. We have had more things happen in our business that should never happen to anybody than I think probably any 10 businesses have, or any business has in its lifetime probably two or three times. And every time these crises happened, who did you rely upon? Your family. And so the children and I would be, would be working with alongside Byron from dawn till after dark, wondering how are we going to survive? I'll just I'll just say this that that um, at one point in time somebody um, actually went into our greenhouse and sprayed the crop with Roundup. What? Right? And uh, we lost about a third of a million dollars in an hour and a half. So this was the this was the background, but that was only one of several kinds of circumstances like that that happened. So this was the background. Just one minute. Okay, you can talk all you want. This was the background. Amy happened to be just by sheer luck at that age where she should be getting her solid foundation in education. At that point, and it's a choice of, okay, we file chapter 12 or 13 or, or whatever number you want to put it for, or we do what we have to do to survive. And farmers, being optimists that they are, figured that it was going to be a short-term thing. We didn't realize how long it was going to take for a recovery. And so it would always be, well, you know, next month we'll get back to the studies. You know, well, you know, maybe, maybe by Christmas time. So we come along to this point and Amy's saying, Mom, I just, I don't even know what grade I'm in. And I'm starting to feel really embarrassed, even though I believe so much in all of those things. And so this is, these are some of the stresses, but we've chosen to make that thing of serving God supreme. And, and so that was the only thing that kept us going. Okay. And and uh, going back to this passage here in Ministry of Healing, see, when you look at when you look at simplicity, we as humans think at this point, would I ever like the simple life? Meaning the life where 
where dad goes to work eight to five and he's home, which we were always were, we were very careful to have morning and evening worship and home three meals a day. But, but the... Well, sometimes the morning and evening worship happened on the farm and then the kids would fall asleep there too and then we would all kind of wake up to go home to bed. But we still have morning and evening worship, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> was Amy adopted? No. no Amy, was a, Amy was a birth child, although... That's a whole oh, other story. Oh, that's a whole other story, <laughs> yes. Okay, so, so the, the interesting thing is Human nature says, I don't like what's happening. I don't like what's happening. This isn't right. This isn't the way families are supposed to be. And my wife, especially um, being the female member of the partnership, is saying, this, you know, I'm being pulled to my family, but I'm also being pulled to my husband and the challenges on the job. And so I want to highlight again this passage from Ministry of Healing where it says that, that the load of care is the product of seeking to reach the world standards. See, where did the idea come from about how education should happen? See, I'm comparing what kind of, where's my standard for what prosperity is? There's all these things that we don't even think about. We just assume that this is what we're supposed to have. This is what we're entitled to. And I'm going to put Amy's story on hold for a moment, too. Um, brief moment. I want to highlight simple is what happens on the inside. You've accepted that one principle. Now that that one principle is the guiding point, the locus, if you will, of your life, your life is now simple. Because God is the one who's deciding what happens to you, and everything that you're doing is for his service. Amen. Not, not trying to reach the world standards, not accepting its customs, etc. Okay? Jesus was a man of incredible peace. He was called the Prince of Peace. And yet he lived in the most intense storm that has ever happened to any human being. Because he had accepted that one principle, service of God was supreme. And so whatever happened on the outside did not disturb his inner peace. And that's what made his life simple. Now, I'm going to introduce the second principle. Now, all the pictures that I put up there, just as a matter of note, are my grandkids. So, just in case, I'm not, I'm not taking any clip art from the, from the uh, internet or somewhere. Um, the second principle is we have to accept the fact that simple is not synonymous with easy. Amen. That's another expectation we have to correct. Simple is not synonymous with easy. So, two little girls, and they kind of are very meek and mild and do what you want. Interject now, Charles. And um, let me tell you, he was a lot of fun. I can remember so many 
translate fun is not easy either. I'll tell you, I just, I remember one day, um, the kids were all doing something outside, and and um, I was, you know, going in and out, keeping track of them, doing a few things in the kitchen, and suddenly I thought, you know, Charles has been quiet for a while. And I went outside, and we had this little storage shed that was all wired up for... Um, Electricity, for electricity, yes. yeah, for electricity. And um, he had, in a matter of like less than half an hour, completely snipped every wire and pulled every wire out of the shed. And, Charles, why did you do that? Well, you know, Mom, I was going to pretend that I was doing a home repair project. <laughs> and, and so I was just... And, and it's experience after experience like that because of the background with the alcohol and the drugs that 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 connection in the brain where a child does sort of stop and think about cause and effect just wasn't there. Um, you know, he was going to change the oil on the lawnmower. Or the, the oil, right? On the lawnmower. And I come around the corner and... And he's got like this contraption, this huge, twelve foot step a 12-foot stepladder with all these pipes and hoses and stuff where he's pouring it in. And, you know, and... That's a woman's view of it. For any man in here, you need a little bit better explanation. He had, was, was actually putting the oil in the lawnmower from a, from a bucket up top, and then the hose was going down and filling the tank in the lawnmower. And, but, you know... He did not mean to do evil. His little heart. Well, that wasn't was, evil anyway. Oh that no, was no. Fun. Well, it was just a, to- a total waste of time. And for some mother who wants kids to be productive, um, his little heart was so always so tender. And at the end of the day, it'd be, "Mommy, I don't know why I did that." And he he just that that impulsivity. And and so it was like it was like we were constantly being confronted. With these, with these challenges, where how do how do we help him to to help him because he wanted to be helped. He wasn't meaning to be wicked or evil or or make these mistakes, but they were such real. And we finally came to the conclusion that you know when someone has a broken arm or a broken leg, you can see it and you can feel so sad for them. But when someone has connections in their brain that aren't hooked up because of something that happened before they were ever born. You can't see it, but and yet that is a handicap just as real as anything else. And boy, does it ever affect mom and dad. Because and brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas. Because you all have to spend so much more time on your knees and so much more time talking and reasoning and loving and supporting him. And I can tell you, Charles and his dad are best friends. And I praise God for that for that way that Byron had in in talking with him and helping him through these challenges of learning. But I think that this passage here, in the darkest days when appearances seem most forbidding, Charles was very, very frustrating to both Janice and me in so many ways when he was when he was small. I mean we dearly loved him, but he was but but I want to keep focused on this concept that that if you accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme, perplexities will vanish in a plain path before your feet. We knew what God was calling us to do. But the second principle is that simple isn't easy. We 
we were confronted with challenges that I had had no preparation for. And I would go in the evening after everybody else had gone to bed. We had a little, little tiny two, two uh, floor house, but it had about, I don't know, just a few hundred square feet on the floor. But I'd go downstairs to the furnace room because it was dark and alone. And I would pour out my heart to God and I would bang my head literally against the, the chimney. And I would say, God, I cannot misrepresent you to my son. I, I find this frustration welling up within me and it comes out. And there's such a short window to influence him. You're going to have to help me. And day after day I would go down there and the amazing thing is that God worked a miracle. And it was, it was remarkable because I began to see how he was actually thinking and what he was actually dealing with. And I could so relate. I mean, I can't tell you how many things I do in my life, maybe not the same kind of things that he does, but how many things I do in my life that are not exactly what I want to do. In fact, the very frustration that I was experiencing was not my choice. It was something that was happening to me outside of my own choice. And the same thing was what he was dealing with. The things that he was doing, the way he was responding to the circumstances he was confronted with, were not his choice. They were what was naturally coming out. And I suddenly found that I could really relate. No, I didn't have, well, anybody who probably knows me might say I have ADHD, but, but I don't have any documented evidence of, of some real... Um, handicap like that that I can actually hide behind, I had to confront the fact that I was reasonably normal and still having the same struggles and it began to engender sympathy. And that sympathy was was uh, really instrumental. But going to this statement here again, see it says, in the darkest days when appearances seem most forbidding, you have faith in God and you know that he is working out his will, doing all things well in behalf of his people. The strength of those who love and serve him will be renewed day by day. When you make that one principle of the service of God supreme in your life, the appearances don't change. They seem most forbidding. But because you have that one principle, you've stepped away from the world standard and, and its customs and practices, etc., and you've said this one principle is what I govern my life by, then even when you see these perplexities, you know that God is the only thing you're serving, and he is guiding you through this, whether you can see it or not, and that's where we were at with Charles. Now, I want to go back to the um, story of Amy briefly here. We had, she's just itching for it, so I'll stand this way. <laughs> no. um, we had, um, we had decided, she had decided that she needed to do something different in her education. So we decided as parents that we were going to step in and do something to help her. So we talked to Homestead International. We thought, well, surely if we get an external teacher to teach her long distance, that'll help. 
And um, so the first thing to do was to go through this battery of tests. And, oh, Amy and I were so scared about this because you have to have someone else administer the test, like a pastor or somebody professional in your community. And, and we were just both, Amy was like, Mom, they're going to find out what my score is if they, if, if, if they administer this test. And I was humiliated as a mother. Oh, they're going to find out that my, you know, I was sure she couldn't possibly in grade, be in grade four like what she thought she was. But you have to remember at this time she was 14 or 15? Almost, not 15 yet. No, almost 14, I think. No, no, she, she was, was 13. Four, no. Anyways, whatever it was, she was well old enough that she shouldn't be in grade four. And um, so anyways, we got, we got these, these tests done and administered and sent away and got the results. And I will let Byron give you the results. <laughs> I won't tell you why she's going to love me. It's not because she's generous in handing Mike back to me. It's because she has struggles with numbers. Okay. So they had seven tests. And it was, um, it was a standardized test. And... Um, out of those, she scored at the college level in four of the seven. She was at the high school level at or above her age in two of the tests, and she was below her age point in one test. And at that level, she was, I think, grade six or seven. Okay. So, you see, when you look at, when you look at, God says, this is how you're supposed to get educated. You're supposed to be involved with your hands. You're supposed to be doing practical things. And over and over and over again. And how ideally when it's alongside mom and dad or grandma and grandpa in the family. And, and that's what, that was the... It's not because Amy's this wonder girl. It's because she had that experience of working in practical work alongside mom and dad and with grandpa and whatnot that was such a blessing. So it reinforced in my mind these, these two things that, that I'm saying here. That, And I'm not advocating that people abdicate their educational responsibilities as parents. But what I am saying is that a lot of times the stresses that we, that we experience are stresses that we bring upon ourselves because we are trying to reach the world's standards and following the world's customs. When you look at how God says kids were supposed to be educated, when you look at how they were educated before medieval Europe, you had some amazingly intelligent people in Bible times. And you didn't have the curriculum that we have today, which is why they said of Jesus, how north this man letters having never learned. And when you, when you understand that so much of the stress that creates what we think is not the simple life is because of our adopting the world standards. And, and while he switches to the next slide, I would say that we have to trust God to remember that the things that might seem like they're against us right now are really working for our best good in the long run if we could see the end from the beginning. This is uh, from Fundamentals of Christian Education, Chapter 41, in case anybody wasn't here the first night. 
When the tabernacle was built in the wilderness for the service of God, the work was done under divine direction. God was the designer. The workmen were educated by him. Now that is every Christian's dream. God told you exactly what he wanted you to do. And he designed what it was that you were going to do, and he's educating you on how to do it. Now that's the kind of thing, you know, I, I, I'm there, my wife is there, and I talk to her about it all the time, and I hear it from so many people, you know what, if God would just tell me what to do. Now, so this was the way that, you know, this was God's project, and everything was going according to his plan, and notice it says, they put heart, soul, and strength into the work, there was hard labor. Now, hard labor has a connotation in our society, and it's not a positive one. Hard, there was hard labor to be done, and the sturdy mechanic taxed muscle and sinew. That indicates possibly there were even some pulled tendons and, and some of that kind of thing happening. And it says they were manifesting their love to God in the toil for his honor. Now, I'm, I'm putting this up here specifically to address the expectation that we have, that if God would give us the right ideas, if God was guiding our life, we wouldn't have to work so hard. Continuing the, uh, the very next paragraph, there is in the world a great deal of hard taxing work to be done. And he who labors without exercising the God-given powers of mind and heart and soul, he who employs the physical strength alone, makes the work a wearisome tax and burden. What God wants us to see, I believe, is that if we put accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme, it's not going to make the work easier, but what it will do is it will bring our heart and mind and soul into the work so that it becomes something we're trying to do better in order to bring honor to God. And by bringing the... By bringing the heart and mind and soul into the work, by implication, the work ceases to become a wearisome tax and burden. Not any easier, but not psychologically this burden. So when we approach simple, it's not to be less difficult. It's to be, it's to be less burdensome. At this particular juncture, I think is a, um, this thought, it's actually from Second Testimonies, this is not a very pleasant passage when I found it, okay? I can't tell you how many times I have found fault with circumstances. In fact, I think that's human nature to find fault with circumstances. That's when we find fault, it's always with some kind of circumstance. And notice it says that that is nothing less than finding fault with providence. What happens in our life, even if the circumstance is extremely undesirable, we have to accept that that is providence. Amen. And providence is God. And um, I want to, to hand the mic to Janice, and I want her to finish the story with our son in light of this particular So, fast forward to 
Say what I said about numbers. To 2011. And um, Charles was working with us on our farm, as he had been doing. He had gone to Washita Hills and um, been a done summer canvassing programs. Loved the Lord, loved his family, best friends with Dad. And it's in the morning, and we get a call from the sheriff. We have your son. We're taking him to jail. And that changed our life. I'm going to introduce here. My wife and I struggled a long time to share this because, number one, our family is a very is a very private family, and it's never it's never pleasant to to share the family pains with other people, particularly the nature of his arrest. We found out that was on a Wednesday, I believe Thursday it was, morning. Thursday morning. Friday, I, or actually it was Saturday morning, I talked to the attorney and discovered that he was facing four consecutive life sentences plus 15 years. And um, every mother's nightmare, he had molested a child. And... Um, I think that that it would be an understatement to say that we were finding fault with circumstances. It was all up, Janice. Say more there. God doesn't prepare you for those things ahead of time. Well, yes, He does. He does, but it doesn't seem like it. I mean, obviously, He does, but you don't. Realize you don't that he feel is. like you've been yeah, and you don't feel like it, and you think, Lord, how can I, how can I even put one foot in front of the other? Lord, how can I do this? What what went wrong? And what do we do next? And um, back to that saying, that promise that we showed at the beginning of those who accept the one principle will find that perplexities will vanish. And there will be a plain path before your feet. And God did exactly that for us as a family, was how to step forward through the days ahead and how to be the support to our son, who just because he made a huge mistake, impulsively. that has impulsively, completely impulsively, that has cost him dearly, cost his family dearly. It's not time to throw him under the bus. He still loves the Lord. You look here, of all the gifts that heaven can bestow, fellowship with Christ and his suffering is what? The most weighty trust and highest honor. See, as we finish this presentation, I want to beg of you to reconsider the expectations that you have. The simple life is what we all want. The simple life is what God wants for us. But we have to understand that the simplicity that God wants for us is are you going to make the service of Christ supreme in your life? Are you going to shirk from difficulty 
and, and, and challenge, or are you going to be willing to accept the, the, the hard work and the challenges that come knowing that because you have that one principle reigning supreme in your life, that you have peace on the inside, that you have simplicity on the inside, no matter what's happening on the outside. And I can tell you, my wife and I shared a lot of tears. Um, we still, ever since, which has been, which has been, uh, we're starting our fourth year with his incarceration. And uh, every Christmas, we have two Christmas trees in the house. We want, we want to accept the fact and celebrate the fact that even though he is separated from us physically, he's still a part of our family and he has a very special place in our home and our heart. And I discovered things about God that I did not know before. They're, they're trees that we plant afterwards. We will have a veritable forest <laughs> by the time it comes out. But, um, you know, when you talk about fellowship with Christ and sufferings, God is going to see his children lost. Nobody will ever fully appreciate what that's going to cost God. Nobody will. But we have a privilege of actually being able to understand in a tiny degree what he is suffering by the experiences that God puts us through here. Our human nature wants to get away from anything that looks like or tastes like suffering or hardship. Our human nature wants ease to be the simple life that we have. God wants us to have a relationship with him that is, that is to know God is to love him and this is life eternal. Amen. That you might know God. The only way that you can know somebody is to be able to understand how they think and to be able to experience what they experience. We cannot understand the sufferings of God unless we too suffer. And when God gives us the privilege of suffering in whatever shape it comes or whatever dimension it takes, if we would make the one principle of the service of God supreme, that would no longer be a perplexity. We would realize that we are getting a taste of who God is. And when your own son is separated from you, when, you know, when, when, when the sheriff's deputy told me that uh, he had my son in custody, instantly I went into father mode, okay? So I trust you won't talk to him anymore until I can arrange an attorney. Um, my daughter and her husband flew down immediately from Canada, and we took two days to find the best legal counsel that money could buy in the state of Arizona. We were going to give him the best shot at a life. 
by all means, I want to be clear, not to take him off the hook, but to make sure that he was treated fairly for the level of the crime and not be treated beyond what fairness would dictate. Right. But, but my point in saying that, one of the specifics of the defense that we raised, but rather that I began to see how God can relate to humans when we mess up, there was no condemnation. There was, there was, okay, this is the circumstance. What can we do now to help make the best of it? And when you look at, at um, closing uh, this passage again, our hearts ache because we try to reach the world standards. We accept its perplexities and adopt its customs. When we understand what God is trying to do in our life and the privilege we have of getting to know God better through the circumstance that he brings us through, we can enjoy the simple life because simple is what happens on inside. Simple is not what happens on the outside. And I just want to encourage all of you. Um, I see parents here with young, precious children. And I can promise you that when my children were that size, if anybody would have told me that I might have an experience like this ahead of me, I would have fainted beneath the burden and I would have said, what? Who, me? Why, we're doing everything right. Why, we're, we're living in the country. We're, we're, we're following all the principles that we know. But I want to encourage you that we're living in a sinful world. And, and there is so much that is besetting the, the paths of young people today. And please know that, that God is going to be with you. And please know that God has given us such an example of love. And that at the end of the day, that simple life is all about asking God to have that same love and same um, standbyedness for our children, no matter the circumstances, that um, that He can help us be that to our children that He is to us. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the standard that you have set. As we look at the life of Christ, challenges that He was willing to face to bring healing and the gospel to our human family. Lord, I want to ask that we will open our hearts, that we will commit to making the one principle of the service of God supreme in our life, wherever that takes us and whatever it looks like. I want to ask that you will give us the grace and the faith to trust you when circumstances are the most forbidding and the way seems the darkest, whether it's on our farm, our business, our personal life, our family, Whatever it is. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.